The People's Theology is brought to you by Creek Tea. Use our code TPTPODCAST at checkout on the Creek Tea website, creektea.com, for 25% off your entire purchase anytime that you purchase. That's TPTPODCAST at creektea.com. It's easy to criticize the church. We spent a lot of this show even highlighting its deficiencies, naming its weakness, pointing out where it's failed. So I get it. And honestly, I like to do it. As we look at the church, it's easy to be discouraged. But at the same time, so much of this season of the people's theology has been about highlighting other kinds of stories talking about what the church can be when it embraces a different set of practices and imagines the world and its role differently. It genuinely can be a different kind of people. And though that might be hard to believe, even from the stories that we have told, our history is full of saints and radicals and regular people who have asked the question, is this how it has to be? And then reveals the watching world into all of history that it doesn't have to be that way. In America, we don't have to look that far to find these kinds of beautiful communities. The civil rights movement was a movement of local churches, local communities of color that lived out a new kind of imagination. You see these communities surrounding Martin Luther King Jr. or John Lewis or Clarence Jordan or Ella Baker, just to name a very small fraction. But these communities, they followed them, embodied the theological vision of a different world. And then through their efforts and their sacrifice and their love and their imagination, well, they showed us that something else was possible. Near the end of the Montgomery bus boycott, the Montgomery Improvement Association held a week-long training on nonviolence and social change. King addressed the crowd with words that are prescient and prophetic then and today. He said that, quote, We have before us the glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. There is still a voice crying out in terms that echo across the generation saying, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of a beloved community. End quote. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation. The aftermath of violence, however, is bitterness. This is the thing I'm concerned about. Let us fight passionately and unrelentingly for the goal of justice and freedom. Let's be sure that our hands are clean in the struggle. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled in Montgomery, that we will be able to live with people as their brothers and King understood his work in theological terms. You could even say in church terms. 
he led a boycott to change the transportation system of Montgomery, which included lawsuits and court cases that made their way all the way to the Supreme Court. But the transportation systems of Montgomery wasn't the end goal. Reconciliation and redemption were. The formation of what King called the beloved community was. King led a movement that revealed to the white world that things were not as they should be, but that they could be something else. And for me, that's maybe the best definition of what the church can be, what it should be, that I can possibly imagine. My name is Johnny Morrison, and you're listening to The People's Theology. On this episode, we are continuing to explore the same themes and questions of this series. How do we live as the people of Jesus in the here and the now? How do we make something good and right or live something that is beautiful in our world? As I said in the beginning, our history is full of people and communities that have worked hard to live something different, and then in doing so, lived something different. And we need to look at those communities because they lead us into the way of the church, like saints and sages of the past who can guide us into being the people of Jesus here and now. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a community and a leader who, for me, evokes a something, a sense of some different way of living. Today, we're going to look specifically at John Perkins, and his community, Voice of Calvary in Mississippi. This isn't intended to be a history lesson or some kind of church biography. Instead, looking at John Perkins and his life in Voice of Calvary should be a story that invites us into a different way of being the church, to a different way of following Jesus, to a different kind of imagination. John Perkins was born in New Hebron, Mississippi in 1930, where he experienced the full force of racial hate, including the murder of his brother Clyde by a local deputy. Early in his life, Perkins decided that he wanted to leave the South and its hate behind him. And so Perkins moved to California in the pursuit of a better life. And there he married, had a family, and through the former, came into a new and profound commitment to Jesus. But the problem with being a follower of Jesus is that he leads us to the places we least want to go, into places of hostility and fear and memory, which is exactly what happens to Perkins in the summer of 1960, when John and his wife Vera May with their children returned to Mississippi to begin a ministry focused on teaching the Bible in their community. In California, Perkins had become convinced that teaching the Bible could lead to a fullness of life and flourishing for communities, just as it had for him. Yet throughout his years of ministry in Mississippi, Perkins continued to run into the problems of racism, systemic corruption, violence, and broken institutions. And so over time, Perkins moved towards further social action. He said, quote, 
I think I was starting to see that just being a fundamentalist, Bible-believing Christian, the Jesus-saves-only type, was not radical enough for the problems that we were dealing with, and that people did need training. They need skills. They need jobs. End quote. The more Perkins embedded himself in his community, the more he was challenged to ask, is this how it has to be? To which he resoundingly said, no. Perkins' decision to say no opened up the possibilities of a new kind of work, but also of a new kind of trouble. And Perkins has suffered... Perkins has suffered immeasurably for his work in the community. From beatings, arrests, to lawsuits, harassment, and just the general absence and apathy of white churches. It would be easy, maybe even legitimate, for Perkins to give up on all of it and the communities that have scorned and abused him. Easy to look at politicians and police churches and pastors and say, screw them be easy to change tactics and the means of community building, easy to believe violence might be necessary. But Perkins didn't. And instead he chooses the way of Jesus. I think it's worth quoting him at length here. Because something he says makes so much sense of how he views the world and how he can continue showing up in the midst of hate and violence. He says, quote, The Spirit of God helped me to really believe what I had so often professed, that only in the love of Christ is there any hope for me or for those I had once worked so hard for. After that, God gave me the strength and motivation to rise up out of my bed and return to Mendenhall and spread a little more of his love around. Oh, I know that man is bad, depraved, There's something built into him that makes him want to be superior. The problem is spiritual. Black or white, we all need to be born again. It's a profound and mysterious truth, Jesus' concept of love overcoming hate. I may not see its victory in my lifetime, but I know it's true. I know it's true because it happened to me. On that bed full of bruises and stitches, God made it true in me. He washed my hatred away and replaced it with a love. That's why I know it's true. Because it happened to me. End quote. John Perkins went home to Mississippi with the goal of saving souls. But in witnessing the suffering of his community... He expanded his ministry and work into social activism. He founded co-ops, black-owned construction companies, tutoring programs, community centers, Bible training programs, and he raised up leaders in Mississippi and beyond. After what he called his second conversion, which is what I was reading from, he knew his work needed to go even further. Like King before him, Perkis was seeking a beloved community an alternative social order founded upon love that engaged both systems and enemies with the goal of reconciliation and justice. 
and out of this deep theological imagination. Perkins developed what he called the three R's of community building. Relocation, redistribution, and reconciliation. These three R's became the foundation of Perkins' work and of his community, the Voice of Calvary. These three practices have most certainly evolved over time. But if you hear Perkins speak over the years or read his work throughout the time, these three practices are right at the center of it. And in just a moment, we're going to look at them. Relocation, redistribution, and reconciliation. And hopefully, well, hopefully they challenge us to figure out what it looks like to live like Perkins in our own communities. Maybe even to come up with our own practices. The People's Theology is brought to you by Everyman. Everyman makes really quality everyday carry items like pens and wallets and backpacks. If you haven't looked at their website, go check it out and then use our code TPT Podcast at checkout for 15% off your entire order whenever you order. That's TPT Podcast at checkout. We have waited too long by removing justice out of the gospel so we could accommodate slavery and injustice and bigotry in the world. The audio that you're listening to is from a lecture that John Perkins gave at Gordon College in 2013. He's just said that we have removed justice from the gospel in order to uphold systems of bigotry in the church. But for Perkins, the problem is the church is supposed to be something different, fundamentally different. It is supposed to show the gospel in real. And the church was God's unique entity. And the gospel was the message of God to confront this foolishness of racism and bigotry. Within the church, it found a home. The only way to eliminate that in this informational, intelligent age is that we got to be the change we want to see. The solution isn't that we leave the church or abandon it, which of all people Perkins should be able to say, he is the most justified to criticize the church. And he says the solution to the world's most difficult and entrenched problems is that the church would take real its responsibility to be the church, people who live out the good news of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, that's where Perkins' practices come in. First of which is relocation. Relocation means embedded, enfleshed, incarnational existence. Perkins said, quote, living involvement turns poor people from statistics into friends, end quote. The places we call home shape us and inform our vision of the world. 
If we live our entire lives in white suburbs, we will be far more inclined to either dismiss the realities of racial and economic injustice or to patronizingly engage like some kind of white savior. Lived involvement challenges us to see people as they really are. And it challenges our modern inclination to force the kingdom into existence because on the ground, in real life, well, we see that God is already moving, that he is way ahead of us. Relocation isn't about entering a space to rescue. If anything, it's about leaving something behind in order to experience our own rescue. Relocation is about truly belonging to a place, which is difficult for us because we've so commodified home and community that we bounce in and out based upon preference. We leave churches because this one piece of theology doesn't align with me. We leave neighborhoods because the school district isn't good enough, because we don't like our neighbors, because it's too close to a homeless shelter, because we can get a higher or bigger home for cheaper in the burbs. And in our culture, we tend to applaud these actions as wise, but Perkins would suggest that we are losing out on something. Losing out on something that is important, which is deeply embedded belonging. In giving that up, we are giving up our ability to join with God and others in making something else possible. What if we didn't leave our neighborhood because of the school district, but instead joined our church and our neighborhood community in meeting its needs for the flourishing of everyone? When we choose comfort and preference over belonging and embeddedness, well, we miss what God's doing. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't called to leave places or to move or that there isn't freedom to move. What Perkins is saying instead is, could we have a different value system that that we use to evaluate the decisions that we make? Instead of it being preference or comfort, could we make decisions based upon where God's moving? And that leads to the second practice, and maybe the most controversial practice that Perkins has ever suggested, which is redistribution. And I say it's controversial because in my experience, nothing turns a conservative evangelical upside down faster than the word redistribution. We quickly dismiss the entire idea by calling it communist or socialist, as though that was an argument for something. But that misses what Perkins is saying because he isn't calling us to some kind of economic system that the world offers. He's calling us towards kingdom towards seeing the world and its economy through a different lens, through a different value system, not through the lenses of fear and commodification, but through a vision of God's table and the abundance of Jesus. Redistribution means sharing. It means sharing talents and resources and fighting for things that better serve the ends of equity. The point is that out of a Christian imagination, we should look at the needs of our community and our neighborhood and the world. We should look at the systems of consumption and commodification and greed. We should look at the false desires of the heart and ask, is this how it has to be? And what is possible here? 
And then we should ask out of imaginations fully saturated in what Jesus is doing, why not? Or are we such slaves to our stuff that we can't even ask ourselves the question? Now, it's easy to hear what I'm saying as only a conversation about public policy or legislation. And this is about so much more than that. If that's where your mind is, then we're, we're thinking too small. This is about what the church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to be moving towards. We are an alternative social order. We should practice redistribution of our talents, our ideas, our homes, our wealth, voluntarily. We should look so generous that it's startling. We should think about our creative projects in terms of redistributions, meaning do the businesses that we start, the investments that we make, the books we write, come out of a kingdom imagination or from some rival kingdom built on fear and commodification. Redistribution isn't about communism versus capitalism. It's about, are we the people of Jesus, freed to be generous, to live differently, to think about our stuff differently? John's third and final R is reconciliation, which means embodying the ethic of Jesus' table. When Perkins initially developed the three R's, the South was a radically segregated place. And nothing would demonstrate the reality of the kingdom more than churches of diverse people gathering together around the table. Now, maybe a lot has changed, but at the same time, a lot has stayed the same. The narrative of white supremacy still runs deep. We still scapegoat and re-narrate the story of the other. We still hide and hoard instead of joining with the other. And the practice of reconciliation is the practice of being confronted by the other. Not of denying the wrong, but of dealing with it and moving towards forgiveness. For reconciliation to happen, injustice needs to be named and dealt with. but then that person can never be excluded. Our world may look a little different than Perkins, but it's not that different. And so reconciliation is still and always will be one of the primary, if not the ultimate way, we communicate the reality of the gospel as a community. It is embodied in our primary symbol, the table. So if we're not trying to practice reconciliation, what are we trying to do? When it comes to reconciliation, Jesus is our ultimate paradigm. He stepped into hostility and absorbed it. He unmasked hate and offered it grace. And to be a follower of Jesus is to do the same. John Perkins was literally tortured by white police officers and ignored by large and powerful churches. And yet he would say, quote, it is a profound and mysterious truth, Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate. I may not see its victory in my lifetime, but I know it's true. I know it's true because it happened to me, end quote. We have to be a community of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God and to each other. To refuse reconciliation is to stand in the way of Jesus' work and say no. 
It's to make ourselves an obstacle to the kingdom. And it is to deny ourselves the fullness of life we are intended in the kingdom. As James Baldwin wrote to his nephew, quote, please try to remember that what they believe as well as what they do and cause you to endure does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear, end quote. Our refusal to reconcile is inhuman in that it denies our humanity. Reconciliation isn't just for some other. It's for us. It's for the flourishing of all. Perkins doesn't have all the answers. And the communities that he's built and been a part of aren't perfect. But to me, he's a sort of saint that can lead us into a new imagination for our lives and our churches. In him, we see a person who dug deep into his local community, used his resources, talent, and body to push for justice. And above all, we see a man who chose love over hate in the face of genuine hostility. The result wasn't a megachurch or the public glory of celebrity pastors. Instead, Perkins' revolution was quiet. In love and grace, he and the people around him formed a beloved community that made real, in a neighborhood, the kingdom of Jesus. Perkins' work It evokes in me an imagination for what's possible in my own community. He saw genuine change take place socially and interpersonally. Legislation did change. Businesses were started. Jobs were created. Churches were planted. Leaders were raised up. Communities were renewed. Neighborhoods loved. Hearts redeemed. For me, his legacy shifts the way that I think about and measure my own kind of work and my own kind of success. But I see in Perkins is a man who dropped out of school in third grade, embedded himself in a community, joined what God was doing, and got to taste and see a little bit of the kingdom. I want that. And more than ever before, I'm convinced that we need it. You've been listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by Missio Day and the Gospel Collective in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information about who we are, what we do, check out our website at missiotah.com. Music on today's show was brought to you by Lee Rosevere, Scott Holmes, Broke Free, and the artist Lobo Loco. If you're interested in John Perkins and his work, just Google him. He has a ton of amazing books you can find on Amazon. You can listen to his speeches. You can find Voice of Calvary's website and dig into the resources he's made available there. It's well worth your time. And if you're going to be scrolling around the internet anyways, then would you give us 
a five-star review, and leave us a comment wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It weirdly helps other people find the show so we can continue having these kinds of conversations with more people. And even more importantly than that, would you share this episode with someone else? And again, thanks for listening. Check back next month for a brand new episode.